Hello and welcome to the Evidence-Based Physiotherapy Podcast. A podcast for physiotherapists and physiotherapy students to discuss all things related to research evidence and applying it to your practice. So we're joined today by Leisha and Luke who are physiotherapy students and Holly and myself Alex who are lecturers in physiotherapy. Today we're going to be bringing you episode one of the Evidence-Based Physiotherapy podcast where we're talking about evidence-based practice. What does it mean to be an evidence-based practitioner and also how research and other evidence fits within your learning and also your future career. Thank you for listening. So from a student's perspective, what are the main questions you have around this area? Um, I think as a student, particularly having only done first year so far, I'd love to explore what an evidence-based practitioner actually is and develop my understanding of what it involves. Um, as we talk a lot about being evidence-based, but it'd be great to discuss what that actually means. That's a really good question. And so from a student going into their second year, what's your perception of evidence-based practice and what it means to be evidence-based? I think over the first year, it's 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 very kind of easy to sit back and just take things in from lecturers but um, when it comes to actually reading research and seeing like really effective studies that have been done on patients um, it's about knowing how to do it as well that can be sometimes quite confusing so as a first year I think you're learning how to research which, that's, which is kind of the hard bit then as you go into second and third year that's when you're going to need it most. Yeah so far this has definitely seemed to be a linking factor. I think as a student in the early days of your degree especially it's easy to get the impression that research and knowing how to research properly and being able to effectively interpret the research is what makes you an evidence-based practitioner. So it seems clear from what you've said so far that research is the the linking factor in all this and is what makes someone evidence-based. Is that the case? Yeah, I think so far I've noticed the importance of it when the time actually came for me to research for assignments and presentations, as it highlighted to me that it is actually a really key part of the academic side of our physio degree. I think that's quite a common misconception really within the profession. And I think if you look at the initial definition of evidence-based practice, it really focuses on best evidence, which although could mean a number of different things, I think it was widely interpreted as research evidence. However, if you look at much more recent um, definitions of evidence-based practice, it focuses a lot more on this link and this uh, overlap between clinical expertise, uh, best research evidence, but also patient values and preferences. And I think that's a a key point to bring into this, that, that the patients and the patient's values are are actually sort of paramount uh, within this situation. I think I think I completely agree with um, Alex as well, is that you often think about evidence-based practice as just having a pile of research papers in front of you and making sure you're up to date with all of the interventions. But when you look at physio from a profession point of view, we've come from being rehab gymnasts and then we've kind of tagged along onto medicine and now we're these evidence-based practitioners and we've gone from being very passive and seeing what uh, treatments feel good for a patient to actually seeing what is actually shown to be effective and to encouraging patients to self-manage themselves. But I think sometimes we forget that evidence-based practice is the use of outcome measures as well and making sure we've we've got a baseline with our patients and that um, we're making sure what we're doing is is effective and um, from a service development point of view as opposed to just a pure kind of one-on-one individual um, viewpoint. 
Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think when looking at what evidence-based practice is, it's also sometimes worthwhile looking at what evidence-based practice isn't. And I think in the past, there's been opposition from people who feel like evidence-based practice is there to actually stop them from doing particular treatments or to dictate that they do treatments in a particular way. It's, first of all, very, very important to get over that hurdle of evidence-based practice isn't about providing uh, a recipe for each patient to get them better, but really it's about having something that we can rely upon to show our clinical reasoning. It's not doing it because someone has said so. The profession worked incredibly hard in terms of being able to independently prescribe exercise. And I think it's really important that any any profession that's given autonomy is able to also show that they are able to develop that understanding and the knowledge according to best evidence from a clinical perspective, but also from the research perspective. It's difficult in physio, isn't it? Because it's not like in medicine where you give a pill or you give a a sugar pill and there's an obvious effect that the pill works or doesn't and vice versa but physio is more like an art and a science together so just because there's research for something and it shows it's effective um, doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be effective every time but equally just because there isn't any research for a particular intervention doesn't mean necessarily that it doesn't work. Um, It might not be researchable. You might not be able to control certain variables to have any um, quality research at all. So I think there's knowing the research, but then there's applying it appropriately as well. And I think that's what makes evidence-based practice. Mm. And what, for me, what doesn't make evidence-based practice is purely relying on your experiences with patients and just kind of, just repeating those same processes over and over again. I totally agree there. I think when you think about as a physio, it's quite hard because you're working with so many different patients with all of the different anatomies. Say acupuncture, for example, like it works really well for some patients and then maybe not as well for others. So it can be quite complicated because you're working with so many different patients. And say one piece of research might say acupuncture is great. Another one might say it's not so good depending on the the, um, patients that were involved in the studies. Yeah, definitely. Acupuncture is a really difficult sort of topic to be talking about in terms of evidence. There are two Mm. um, incredibly strong views and and they sort of clash in the middle, um, which is sort of interesting that you raise it really. In in terms of other areas of of evidence that you've come across in your first year, um, I know you probably wouldn't have been sort of going away and reading lots and lots of papers, but what sort of overview do you get of of how good the research is within physiotherapy and and how useful it is? I think as a student it can be quite daunting sometimes when you're tasked with um, or if you want to research something for an assignment for an example as it's hard to know whether your judgment of the quality of the research evidence is right or whether it's a reliable enough source to be using um, or whether you may be misinterpreting or misjudging the results displayed or the theory um, that evidence might be suggesting. So I think um, personally, as just a first year student, it's quite hard to um, say how good I think the research is as a whole. I think it's particularly hard to judge when you're not used to researching or reading this type of writing. So um I think that makes it quite difficult to interpret, but 
from what I have seen of papers so far, they seem to cover a really broad range of um, topics across the different areas of physio, which does imply how well um, physio practice as a whole is evidence-based. Yeah, I agree. I think you'll find that that's a really, really common viewpoint among all physiotherapy students, at least at one point within their studies. I think just remember that there are so many different types of research designs or or statistical analyses and and different tests that you're never going to understand at all. It's very much like any other skill. If you can start to learn to read papers and digest the information easily, then you can start to think about some of the, the ways in which they carry out the research and it takes your ability to critique that paper just one step further so we've looked at what is evidence-based practice and we've looked at what it's not and we've we've looked at what it looks like as well um so how do you become an evidence-based practitioner then i suppose it's kind of really easy to come into first year and think oh i can't wait to learn physio and get hands-on and you know really just get like practical and then um it comes into actually got to learn research it can be almost a shock even though people know it's gonna happen but I suppose you kind of, if you're not going to teach yourself how to research effectively, you're going to really limit yourself in that sense for future um, after you graduate. So the, in a way, the better you are at research and understanding research, the more knowledge you'll have as a practitioner in the future. I definitely agree with that, Luke. I think that having a good understanding of what being evidence-based actually means will... Um, aid our research skills and potentially our own individual research interests too as we develop these throughout our degree and then once we're qualified too. I think um, learning how to read and research um, other people's research as well is really important but also taking the opportunity when you go on placement to try and apply things that you've read or things that somebody's explained to you Um, and notice um, how approaches can change and how it doesn't always follow a pattern too, even though sometimes it might. So when you've placement, um, you've worked with evidence-based practitioners, what are some of the kind of key themes? How do they practice? How do you know that they're evidence-based? Kind of, have you picked up on any of those things? I noticed on my placement how they all had sort of like a similar structure to their assessment methods, but then depending on um, how the patient responded or um, suggested preferences for treatment or asked any questions, that was when they adapted their approach to suit that specific patient. So I think um, like then it's they use like the sort of set or like standardised maybe approach to start off with and then they know that um that they can adapt their like ways if they need to depending i was at um, an msk placement for my um first placement and um i realized they were all really good at subjective notes at just gathering as much information as possible from a patient say if like they had an issue with the hip joint or the shoulder joint the um practitioner knew exactly what to say and the right questions for red flags zero flags what to ask. How did that make them evidence-based then? I suppose from previous learning that I've learned in the past, they've obviously gone back to research. They've researched why they ask these questions and what they mean, and then what to do if they do come up, say if they get a red flag, if I don't know, cord or equine or something, they know straight away, actually this is serious, we need to know, do something about this, or more yellow flags, precautions. And do you yeah. think when, when red flags and yellow flags have been, you know, gone over with students, do you think there's always an understanding of why you're asking those or is it just a case of I know I need to ask 
these? Yeah, that's the difference, I think, because um, it can come up both ways. Some, um, sometimes it's, it's kind of learn, you know, I'll just learn this at uni, so that's right. Whereas, um, obviously, it's always really good to go and actually research why you, um, why it would be yellow flag or why it would be red flag. I think we are often taught the reason why we need to look out for certain flags to give us an understanding of what may result from that being identified. Um, but like Luke said, it's important to go away and research the reasons why further if you need to, to ensure that you've got a thorough understanding and the ability to back up any decisions you may have to make as a result of identifying these flags. Yeah, exactly. Clinical reasoning and being an evidence-based practitioner are often spoken about in two very, very different perspectives. And I think in actual fact, overall, they're about um, justifying our, our practice and justifying our actions in our clinical setting. So I, I think these things take time to develop and you know, students are often very, very hard on themselves. So, so particularly from a from a year one onwards, it's about trying to engage with with the research and the evidence first of all before becoming an expert. So, how do you become an evidence based practitioner? Why should you become one, and why is it important? Always new research being done, and if like you know, one treatment for one patient for a certain condition doesn't mean there isn't others that would work better. So. I feel like if you kind of stick to one thing throughout your whole career, like I'll treat back pain in this one way for every single patient, it might not be effective for some. So it's always good to have a broad knowledge, actually understanding with, um, with patients and then the conditions and knowing the research of what actually is effective. I think it's important too to try and keep up to date with new emerging evidence so that you can try and be open to adapting your approaches or your current practice. Um, if, for example a new technique um, is shown to be more effective and to back up the approaches you continue to perhaps go forwards with or the ones you may decide are maybe best to change. So we've been using the words evidence and research within the within this episode so far. What are the different types of evidence out there? What what sort of things can we rely on as, as clinicians and students um, looking to be evidence-based? I think this is the barrier I've had, I think, with um, when it comes to actual research. I remember I did one assignment um, on the vascular system and I just went to the library just to use purely just books because <laughs> I found it easy, much easier just to go to the library, pick up a book, then read it because I didn't have that um, knowledge on how to actually read a paper, how to look at it, how to work out um, what I need to take from it. So I think that's kind of commonly the barrier as a first year. No, that's a really interesting view. I mean, perhaps it's overlooked by by lecturers. You know, you often get a a talk probably in the first two or three weeks of being at university about, you know, here's your particular platform to search for for journals. Off you go, probably, and not not realizing that the more fundamental questions of you know what is a journal, you know, and and how does it fit within my evidence base. So, um, and I, I think that that's a key understanding. You, you know, you, you tend to to get it beaten into you by third year regardless but we've lost those sort of two and a half years of of you know learning and ability to get more comfortable with it you know it's the same with anything you go into clinical practice you know you're not comfortable with your first patient you're nervous you know you've got sweaty palms you're, you're planning <laughs> you know you're planning uh, what you're going to be doing with this patient and what you're going to be asking so it's no different with papers you know it's, it's a case of being familiar and 
but it's not just about research studies there are systematic reviews and guidelines and and there are other documents that summarize the the research for you so this isn't all about you doing all of the work yourself people have done most of the work for you and whilst it's nice to be able to look at the basic papers yourself start off where the people have done the work for you I think a gap that has been highlighted to me with regards to the different types of research evidence and publications is how and where, especially as students having only finished our first year, um, how and where to find them. I'm sure this gap will probably get a lot smaller as we carry on with our degrees, but at the moment just knowing where and how to find the different sources, like the different types of um, reviews and research papers and journals and guidelines. I think um, that is a little bit of a barrier at the moment, a bit of a gap. I think that gap starts to close, doesn't it? When we, not to say that in first year, you don't think about the clinical um, applicability of what you're learning, but a lot of it's the foundations in the science. And I think as you progress through the degree and, we push more onto the clinical side of things that's when we push towards more of the research maybe that even we're more familiar with and um, then kind of the pure hardcore science research mm. Mm. looking at research can be quite overwhelming where do you start how do you make it fun and how do you make it not mind-numbingly boring <laughs> what's the question <laughs> boring, i didn't ask this question <laughs> <laughs> I must say anything. <laughs> That's an inevitable question, really. To be honest, the only it's the same with anything. If you're not interested in it, it's gonna be mind numbingly boring. And it's about valuing where research and evidence fits into your clinical practice. But really, one of the best ways of of overcoming that fear of research is really to get involved. And that's not just necessarily from a research study perspective, but it could also be things such as uh, service evaluations and audits that are ongoing in clinical practice. I think typically, um, from what I've seen in the past, this tends to be left to the upper band sixes and band sevens to lead. However, there's no reason why band five shouldn't be uh, sort of pushing this within clinical practice and helping to develop services to, to ensure that they're developing and providing the best service that they possibly can. As an undergraduate, I wasn't a researcher. I never wanted to touch research and I certainly wasn't an academic. I fell into it and I fell into some really nice projects that I really enjoyed. So my first piece of research allowed me a summer of, of um, dissecting cadavers which I'm sure isn't everyone's sort of first choice when it comes to um, to choosing their summer summer activities. But I was surrounded by passionate people that loved their job and also loved anatomy and also teaching and also learning too. And so this allowed me to ask the questions I wanted, which really helps to get anybody motivated and interested in a topic. So it's it's finding your place really and, mm. and what, what motivates you. So kind of having that um, balance of the interest of research, but also knowing how to, because you might be really interested in research, like, oh yeah, I can't wait to research a certain topic about the radial nerve or et cetera. But when it comes to actually not being sure of how to do it, it can be really quite daunting sometimes. That's how I find my position being sometimes. I really like to do some research, but it's more about how and how to do it and knowing if it's correct or if it's um valuable or, or like reliable yeah. and it's I, I think that's often 
um, easy to forget from our perspective. Mm. And, and I think it's probably a call out to, to all people doing research to try and get people interested, but also to ask questions, really. Mm. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions. People love to talk about their research. Yeah, I think, especially as you, as an undergraduate, it's, I know Alex said about being interested in what you're reading, but you're not, we cover such a broad range in physio, there's going to be a lot of it that maybe you're not that interested in, and there might be only one small element that you are particularly interested in, and it's then trying to use how you've read and um, like synthesised all of that information for the bit that you are interested in, and try and apply that, because you need all of that evidence behind you as an undergraduate. And it's only once you've graduated that you can then really hone in on a particular area. Um, I remember when I was an undergrad and my university was really research focused and research petrified me. I thought it was just for like this elite level of people that would only ever research and nothing would ever quite be perfect enough. And now I'm in that world and I know that nothing is ever quite perfect enough and there's always limitations and flaws in everything but I think for me the research the content of it you don't necessarily have to be really interested in the content but it's about for me it's always about reading between the lines and what what is there and what is missing what what have they failed to tell you that you can then kind of start to start to pick apart about some of the methodology because research well when you're reading a paper not all of the information is there so I, I like to think of it as a bit of mystery Mm. so when you were saying about reading between the lines and like picking out studies and finding your own like view and information of them which that comes with more experience just repetitive repetition and keeping doing it i think it's about if you're reading about a particular methodology say in a randomized control trial which would be generally kind of the gold standard of like clinical trial methodology that you would use it's almost about knowing what to expect and then if the paper's not met your expectations, that's how I tend to draw some information out. I, I think just try not to understand everything. Um, mm. Try to just read what you can and, and make a note of, um, of the things that you're not sure about at the side. I, I think if you go through a paper, and, and again, I think we're going to have a session on how to read a paper, or at least how to approach reading a paper. Because if you read it like a book from cover to cover, um, it's a sure way to to put anybody off research and a sure way to put anyone off sort of engaging with research. So, you know, there are tips that you will that you will come across. And again, practice is one of these things, but don't ever try to understand everything. Yeah, and remember that you're yes we want you to be evidence-based but you're at the beginning of that journey of becoming an evidence-based practitioner and even though myself and Alex are years along we'll still well I'm speaking for Alex on his behalf but definitely for me I will print out a research paper and I won't understand bits and I'll colour them in and then I'll be googling what certain things mean or searching what certain things mean because every every piece of research that you read is different and it's even though they might have used similar methodologies, it doesn't always mean that they've done it in exactly the same way and that they have the same strengths and limitations. So um, it's definitely about making notes, however that works for you, whether it's kind of tracking things on a PDF on your computer or whether you need it in front of you and highlighting and scribbling all over. But um, 
it's almost researching about the research. I tend to find I do that a lot myself just to try and fill in some of the blanks. I think like, like you were saying, um, it's the, um, in first year, they really stressed uh, about trying to get to know yourself and how you learn best. Into several obviously like you saying printing it out and then research and coming in and researching different things. Like I think that's kind of a technique you've got to learn quite early on as as in first year. And I think it's I'm, I'm obviously I think you never stop learning as well. But that's that kind of I'm trying to grasp that at the same time, just coming out of first year, like how to how I properly learn best. So I'm not mindlessly looking at the studies and it's not all being absorbed. Like what's the best way for me to absorb that information? I think yeah. I know very few people that can look at a paper and just <laughs> go it in. <laughs> when, when you look at academic academic chatter on Twitter, um, there's, there's so many people who have been doing research for years who are still asking the question of how do I read a how do I read a paper and it not take me all day? Um, so there's not one method just doesn't work like that it takes lots of time mm. so when in your training or career did you realize it was important to be an evidence-based physio in my training i realized when it was important to be an evidence-based practitioner when gosh i think it was when i was actually on the when i first went onto a rotation on the wards was probably when I first realised how important it was to apply research to practice. Um, because as we've already said, it, it can be very easy as a clinician to fall into a pattern of you go to, you go to bed one, you walk that person five metres, you walk them back, you sit them down. Next bed, you transfer them out of bed, you walk them, you do a stair assessment, you go back. You, and you don't, think, you don't think about what you're doing or why you're doing it. And I think it's, with physio, it's not always about over, well, it's, it should never be about really overcomplicating an intervention, which physios are generally very good at providing a, a really complex treatment for a patient that's completely unnecessary but it's when we actually are doing those basic treatments which I'm saying only happens in an inpatient um, environment it happens in an outpatient environment as well but you see it re very regularly in inpatients where you're just going through the motions and I think that's where you really need to think about the foundations of why you're doing things so all of that information from first year then applying the evidence as to what what am I doing and why is it effective? Am I just mobilising this older person because we need to discharge them and they live in a bungalow but they've got to get up and down two steps? Or actually, am I having a greater effect on this person holistically? Um, and how can I optimise that? So was that a specific patient that that gave you that click or was it just being there in, in the environment for a long time that, that got you thinking? No, it, it, was, it was the overview of, of seeing and observing clinicians falling into that pattern and that is mind-numbingly boring and you, you have to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it and being able to justify it and being able to reason why you have decided to assess and intervene in a particular way um, because 
you, you will see clinicians who just go through the motions, but that isn't being evidence-based. I suppose that's really the difference of, like you were saying, being mind-numbly boring and actually being inter- interesting. Yeah. So you think about actually what the reason why this is ha- why they're doing this or the evidence saying this, so that's what they're doing, actually becomes really interesting. So you start to put pieces of the puzzle together where they're just kind of doing it like, because you said so, it doesn't really become that interesting. No, and you think in a, in a hospital environment, there are lots of different pressures on you. And it might be that the bed manager is on your back and you need this one particular patient who's medically fit and they need to get back into their bungalow and we can provide them the support services. And there's a lot of um, like social implications for what we're doing, but that isn't the only thing that we do. And we shouldn't just be ticking a box just to say, yeah, this person can now go home. We, you need to be thinking on a higher level. Um, why you are um, and clinically reasoning why you're acting in a certain way with that particular patient. I remember a few times on my placement my clinical educator and the rest of the team really feeling the pressure to review a lot of medically fit patients so that they could be discharged as soon as possible and go home or in some cases for others to another ward or a rehab centre um, but sometimes really having to use clinical reasoning and refrain from sticking to that procedure of getting them up and back home or wherever they needed to go next as soon as possible, if that option or approach wasn't fully currently in their best interest. I'm thinking about another experience where um, I was on a, a course and a question was asked, it was, an, it was an orthopedic medicine course, and a question was asked about a particular, um, I think it was a manipulation that they were doing. And the educator just turned around and said, just because it is. And I just think you should never find yourself in that position where someone's asking you to justify or evidence what you're doing. And you, it's just because it is, it's just because it's always been that way. I don't think that should ever be the answer. Yeah, there's no progression with that idea at all just the same old thing through the years yeah and that that then comes back to the service development side of things and pushing things forward and modernizing healthcare and being in line with medicine a doctor doesn't turn around and say i'll give you this medication because that's what i've always given out i think we need to be a bit more forward thinking hearing that makes it sound really exciting like just coming out of first year i think because yeah. like obviously research can be really daunting and you don't think about the actual positive that can come out of it at the end you always think of yourself sat at a desk just plodding along when really actually what can come after that can be really interesting and really fun so it's exciting actually yeah it can be exciting and getting involved in research is a really good way of doing that as well i think it really opens up a lot of opportunities as well i think because obviously there's so much opportunity in physio anyway but if you get it early on that like research is really important and evidence practice evidence-based practice is important you can open up a whole new world of opportunity for the future yeah i i agree so what's more exciting than not just being at the top of your clinical game but then using your research expertise and skill to drive the profession forward and the understanding of the area to to make a difference not just within your service but but much wider i think hearing all that is really exciting because as a first year i'm going to admit i was a bit guilty of just sitting back (laughs) and just and taking in and thinking obviously what they're telling me so it's right so etc rather than actually thinking further and then 
I was kind of limiting myself in that way. You're not the only person, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there might be Very one or two guy <laughs> <laughs> How often are you expected to conduct or read research and how does this change from being a student to being qualified? Yeah, I think that's a really wide question because how often are you expected to conduct research? Well, in the formal sense, you probably will find that most clinicians aren't conducting research unless they're in academic roles. But then are we saying that research and is, is as simple as conducting audits when you're in outpatients or in a ward? Like how many times do you see a patient before you discharge them or how long is their stay in the hospital before they go to intermediate care, for instance? So how often are you expect to conduct research? How long is a piece of string um, if you're thinking formal research or you're thinking audits? Even at student level, you would, you'll have the opportunity to, um, to contribute to audits, which is a really good thing to put on your CV. <laughs> and how does this change from being a student to being qualified? Alex? When you're in university, you're often guided as to what you need to be reading so as you said before you did a something on blood vessels well you had to go away and research blood vessels and you might be doing a project on parkinson's so you need to go away and read about parkinson's so um you're guided a lot more i think when you're a student um to be honest i think little and often is probably the the best answer it's, it's one of those things that um you're not going to get your head around it by reading 16 papers in one day and you know not again for another month it's i think it's that constant trickle of information that will really help to sort of allow it to sink in yeah it's a very difficult question to answer i think it's um and i think it, it depends on the stage in your career as well doesn't it so i remember my first ever rotation i was on outpatients and um, I was reading at least a paper a night and reading chapters of books because I was seeing things that I'd not seen before and I'd certainly not managed independently before and I wanted to know that the next time or I wanted to know that the initial assessment so I knew what was coming in the next day that I, I kind of knew where I was coming from um, whereas then when you when you get a bit more confident it maybe slopes off a little bit and maybe that's when you have to put a bit more structure to your reading and I I'm I, I'm really for having informal journal clubs um, amongst kind of band fives and band sixes I think that's a fantastic idea and some departments love it and really take take that on board and other departments don't take that on board so much but at least if there's a paper a month you're still still getting your head into um, into kind of the research methodology and, and having that open discussion and being creative with um, with other graduates as well. Yeah, so, so we'll talk more about sort of reading papers and talk more about some of the different sort of main terms within papers um, over a few episodes to try and get us a bit of an understanding about how to overcome some of the barriers that might stop you understanding sort of papers when you're reading them. The summary of today for me is that evidence-based practice or being an evidence-based practitioner incorporates a lot of things and it's not just a practitioner that sits with a pile of research papers. I think it's from, from uh, being effective in your treatment, using outcome measures, being able to develop a service, recognise where there are limitations and appropriately applying 
research as well to clinical practice. Yeah, I think a summary from a student point of view is that like it's good to keep an open mind in your research modules and look for the more exciting parts and opportunities with it as well um, at the same time as learning how's best to go about reading papers and things like that so that you can find a way that you can make it as enjoyable as possible even if it's on a topic that might not interest you as much as something else that you might want to research instead just depending on what you may be set um, in your different modules. I totally agree. <laughs> I think no, this is really about um, just kind of getting to good habits early on as a first year, second year, even third year student as you progress and then realise how important evidence-based practice actually is and, um, and then realise now you are going to come into a physiotherapist degree to actually learn how to be researched at the same time because they both work so well hand in hand. Exactly. And I think working with students to to help see the benefits of research not only to get them through their degree but also to help them with with developing their clinical practice i think that's really the key um for, for the future and, and the key to going forward and hopefully uh, we'll be covering many of the the sort of topics within this podcast so please subscribe and come back again and we'll hopefully see you in the next episode thanks for listening If you have any questions, thoughts or comments on today's episode, then you can email us on theevidencebasedphysio at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can find us on social media at Twitter or Instagram at the EBP podcast. Please let us know what you think of the episodes and also leave questions or subjects you'd like to cover in the future. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.